From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, the week started out with uh, Boise High School going from uh, the Braves' new world to a brave new world, changing their mascot. Uh, we have that full story um, at idahoednews.org. But there's so much to get to this week that I don't know if we're going to have much time to talk about mascots. Um, we had the task force in full bore. We got a large uh, release of data from the state. Uh, even as we speak, we're trying to sort through it here on Friday morning. A lot to get to this week on the policy end. Uh, Clark, I'm going to kick it over to you and you can kind of walk us through uh, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Governor Brad Little's education task force was in, uh, in full swing and some interesting stuff coming out of it. Yeah, we were just talking, Kevin, before we turned on the microphone. It really feels like after spending much of the summer reviewing the current education landscape or very reviewing the previous task force recommendations, looking through existing data and state laws, it, it seems like this week we really turned the corner from review uh, to starting to look ahead and to start developing some of those recommendations. I was at both meetings. The full task force met Monday in Boise at Boise State, and then uh, on Tuesday, a teacher subcommittee, a teacher pipeline subcommittee met. And I think before between those two groups, I think I found four recommendations mm -hmm. uh, starting to come together, and we can kind of go through what those are. But this is significant because I think the governor has said he really wants maybe no more than six recommendations, and he wants them by the fall. I think he wants them by November um, so that we can look towards maybe implementing some of those during the legislative session. But let's and start... And he wants to kind of drill down to uh, literacy and college Right. Th I mean, that's too. the thing. They all have to be tied in uh, one way or the other with uh, early K-3 early K literacy or college and career readiness, those sorts of things. So let's just So what's go... on the table? Let, let's start there. Yeah, let, let's start with the main task force. And I think this is the most clearly defined recommendation at, at this point. Um, but it came from essentially the two co-chairs, Bill Gilbert, uh, the Boise businessman, and Debbie Critchfield, the State Board of Education president, spent about 20 minutes on Monday laying out a proposal for a totally new accountability system in the state of Idaho. And what it would do, what they're envisioning, Kevin, is really doubling down on literacy, mm -hmm. early childhood literacy in grades K through 3. As proposed by Bill Gilbert, um, he talks about using a single metric for this new accountability system, really making early literacy uh, the North Star in terms of Idaho education, and that's the accountability measure. And so let's get into what he's talking about. Uh, K-3 through, through literacy would be the North Star, like I said, it would be the main focal point of an accountability system. But he wants to look not just at overall proficiency, he specifically wants to look at growth, mm -hmm but growth within the context of comparing schools to peer groups with certain demographic makeups. And so mm -hmm. taking into account things like uh, poverty, taking into account things like special education students, English language learners. Uh, so comparing using growth within the K through three reading test as measured by the IRI, that's mm -hmm. that new Idaho reading indicator test uh, that's been rolled out statewide at this point wants to take growth um, from those test results, compare it against other schools with similar demographic makeups, and then really have the system be bound by local control rather than having the state have the authority to 
control accountability, talking about the local school boards really being responsible for holding superintendents and building principals responsible for meeting their growth targets on these K through three literacy tests. And so that's kind of a shift. And, and it, you know, we talk all the time during the legislative session about how Idaho is a local control state. And I think that that's where this came from. But the idea would be literacy is the one point of data that we look at. And we bring that to our local communities and our school boards. And we focus on that in terms of accountability. And then the school boards would hold superintendents accountable for growth. And they could hold them accountable through firing them mm -hmm. uh, if they did not reach their growth targets. And same thing with building principles. And so that's a little bit of a departure from where we are right now. It's just a proposal. It has not been yet endorsed by the full task force, but it seems like it's coming together. And just listening to the discussion, it really seems like it's coming from on high, that Bill Gilbert has talked with Governor Little about it, talked with Debbie Critchfield about it, and those three seem to be on the same page. And I think it gets really interesting here for, for a lot of reasons. Uh, the Idaho Reading Indicator, by whatever standard you look at, I mean, we're in a new version of the IRI, the goal of this test is to screen students. It, it's not, especially when you look at the fall IRI, especially the kindergarten fall IRI, it is a baseline to see where kids stand going into that school year, what kind of reading or pre-reading skills uh, do they have and where do they need help. So moving from turning that into a screener into more of an accountability measure for schools and districts, uh, I'd imagine that there are gonna be some educators who are having a hard time with that sort of a transition. And it really, it really puts into sharper focus to me some of these reading scores that uh, that we're seeing and we're analyzing, uh, we'll get to it later in the yeah we'll come back to the podcast IRI. and look at the spring IRI scores because there are some interesting numbers that emerged. Yeah, and you know again we'll we'll look at them again in the fall when when the kids come back to school. You know that this is a big priority for Governor. Lewis. Oh yeah, you know literacy is a big deal. You know, the state has put uh, twenty six million dollars into literacy programs. Uh, doubling that budget at Little's urging. So you, you knew at some point that this task force was going to really focus in on the literacy issue and make some recommendations on the literacy issue. But you know, now it's starting to take shape what that might turn out to look like. And yeah, and this just came out Monday. And like I said, not official yet, not final, not endorsed by the full task force. But there was already a little bit of pushback on Monday in a couple areas. One was uh, particularly from Carrie Overall from the Idaho Education Association said, it seems like we had just gotten away from this environment of high stakes testing. And are we talking about coming back to that where we have this one test and this one metric being growth on the IRI scores becoming this high stakes accountability measure? She was concerned about that. Second thing, which I thought was really, really interesting, came from the Idaho School Boards Association. And they talked about how right now, under Idaho law, it does not appear that there's a way to require school boards to have training. The kind of training that would be needed to understand and analyze IRI data and growth, make sense of that, and then hold superintendents accountable for that in a meaningful way, does not appear under current Idaho law. There's a way to mandate that training. And Karen Echeverria and Jody Hendricks, the vice president, of ISBA, the School mm -hmm. Boards Association, said, you know what? The state provides about $1.2 million every year so that every school board member can be trained. They build out about 
$200,000 last year, so less than 20% of the statewide total. And they said some boards get trained and many boards do not receive any training. And they said, you know what? The trend is the same boards get training over and over again, and we have large groups of school boards all across the state that receive no training. Mm -hmm. And that they don't know how to force their hand. They don't know how to compel them to take that training. And so I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting, and we'll see where this debate goes from there. So Tuesday, you had one of the subcommittees of the task force, and the recommendations that are emerging from that subcommittee, I think, are really interesting and potentially pretty costly because now we're starting to talk about recommendations that might affect teacher pay. We really are. And, and two of those recommendations, really a blast from the past for folks like us who followed the former governor's task force from 2013. Two of the recommendations at this point, still just proposals, but it looks like recommendations are coming. Um, two of the recommendations really mirror recommendations from the 2013 task force and that's for professional development uh, which is job embedded training for teachers and mentorship that's one of them and the second one this will sound familiar also is the full build out of the career ladder salary law a lot of officials and a lot of educators and a lot of task force members are saying they only built the career ladder out two-thirds of the way that the mm -hmm. legislature did not add that third rung that was originally contemplated to go from $40,000 to $50,000 to $60,000. They said we did not get that third piece in there, and they want to recommend that. And that'll be interesting. That will have quite a price tag, like you right. alluded to. And it'll be interesting to see what the legislature does if that does, in, for, in fact, go forward as a full recommendation. There's and, and, and it, But it comes at a point where... This question of what to do with veteran teachers. Right. It's all about teacher retaining experienced teachers. It's at a this retention level. issue, and I, I think there is a growing consensus around the idea that the master educator premium is not getting the job done. Um, you know, I, I wrote this week on my blog about glitches in the review process for the master educator premium. Um, we've already written about how. By our reckoning, thousands of teachers who qualified for this uh, bonus did, not apply. did not apply because the application process was so so time consuming. Um, uh, Bill Gilbert has talked about how if he ran a business like this, he would never do something like this. He would never right. expect his top performing uh, employees to spend dozens and dozens of hours applying for a bonus. Um, and as I blogged about it this week, I heard from teachers who applied for the premiums, who didn't apply for the premiums, for teachers who, from teachers who were reviewing the portfolios, the applications. Nobody seems happy with this process. So I think that you've come to a point in time where I think there's a growing understanding that this isn't the solution. So what is the solution? Right. So this whole career ladder part two and you know teacher pay for, for veteran teachers I think it's a ripe issue and potentially could be a big issue at the 2020 session. Well, under the broad umbrella of the career ladder recommendation, I would not be surprised if the task force had smaller recommendations that pertained to revamping or scrapping altogether the Master Educator Premium Program. And secondly, I think they also may look at teacher evaluations and how mm -hmm. those are handled, who handle those, how frequently they're done, whether or not those are tied to pay decisions. So I think we may see smaller recommendations embedded underneath the larger career ladder recommendation that would deal potentially 
the master teacher premiums with the teacher evaluations. So stay tuned for that. There was one more fourth recommendation that was kind of loosely coming together. It came from State Representative Gary Marshall, Idaho Falls Republican, who sits on the House Education Committee. He talked about offering optional extended contracts for teachers. Initially, this got a lot of support, and then it kind of fizzled out. But the idea being you've got your base rate for teachers, and then if they wanted to commit to working an extra six weeks of unstructured time during the summer to maybe develop their literacy plans, to enrich their own understanding of the subjects they teach, to develop lessons plans, whatever, uh, spend six weeks during the summer of extra unstructured time uh, basically bettering themselves as an educator, then they would receive a 20% bonus for committing to do that. Still very much in the development phase, I think Senator Dean Mortimer rattled off the top of his head, we may actually be talking about you know, $390 million if, if this goes forwards and people embrace it. But then it sort of went off the rails. Gary Marshall proposed, hey, we could just get rid of the career ladder and do this, and then that shut it down. Because, like I said, building out the career ladder had already received support. And Bill Gilbert, the task force co-chair, said, listen, Governor Little is not getting rid of the career ladder. He's committed to the career ladder. And so former Senator Sean Keogh used one of these legislative expressions that we hear so frequently. She said, uh, why don't you guys spend about another month working on you know, finalizing this recommendation for extended contracts, it may not be ripe right now. That ripe right now is the phrase that we hear every legislative session. And so that one's mm-hmm. less less well-defined, in my opinion. But and that was the Gary record, Marshall... He came to him at 2 a.m. He, he came, the idea that he arrived at at 2 a.m. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just going to say for the record, most of the ideas that I've come up with at 2 in the morning were not good ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, just as a life lesson, but... Yeah, and so that one, you know, stay tuned, but just my way of saying that I think I start to see four recommendations potentially taking shape. None of them are final. The task force meets again in early September. The teacher pipeline subcommittee meets again in mid-September for what could be its final meeting. So stay tuned, but it's really ramping up, and it's going to we're in the home stretch here. Right. It felt like jello there for a couple of months, but now it's starting to... uh it's starting to firm up a little bit. And yeah. you can start to see where this may go between now and recommendations in November to the governor. Yeah, if you want to get caught up, there's kind of a lot there. Two different stories on Monday and Tuesday. One from the full task force, one from the teacher pipeline subcommittee. Uh, the place to dig in if you want to find out a little bit more is the homepage, idahoednews.org. I want to shift gears because we have at least two more important stories to get to this week. But Kevin, you sat down with new Boise State University President Dr. Marlene Trump. And you asked her about this reception she's got from the legislatures and sort of the pushback against these diversity efforts. And she had some interesting things to say. What did, what, when did you sit down and what did you talk about? We talked Thursday morning, and this is an interview that you know we've kind of you know had fun with this on, on the podcast the past few weeks. Um, did get a chance to sit down with President Trump on Thursday morning. We covered a lot of ground, and I should say that uh, I'm working on a profile uh, of of President Trump that we will post next week. A larger, more in-depth And more in-depth look, and we talked about, you know, her background in in academics, the 60% post-secondary goal, her take on that, affordability, how that factors in, you know, issues of how you maintain a 
a university community like you have now when you've got all this growth going on at, at the Boise State campus. A lot of ground, but let's face it, the, the thing that I, a lot of people have wanted to hear more from, from President Trump about is this controversy about the, uh, the diversity programs and the inclusion programs. And I thought she had some interesting comments. Uh, her basic takeaway on it is that she feels like a lot of this was misunderstanding, a lot of it is uh, a lack of context and maybe some confusion about the programs. The legislature's never been confused before, Kevin. No, no, no. I mean, you know, attention Idaho reporters, there's confusion. Uh, so one of the things I thought that she said that was really interesting was we talked about uh, interim president Martin Schimpf's uh, letter to the Boise State community. Which kind of touched June, which some of this was off. was the flashpoint in this, this whole debate. Um, he, he wrote this letter about diversity programs that were uh, in place at the Boise State uh, community. And she said, you know, it's incumbent upon us as a university to explain what we're doing for all student groups, not just Latino students or uh, American Indian students or, you know, students, uh, LGBT students. What she said is, you know, this was a letter to the university community that, that, uh, that Shemp wrote, and it was focused on these diversity programs. And part of it was, you know, targeted towards folks in the university community who think Boise State should be doing more for these, uh, for, for students uh, of color and, and LGBT students. So that was his focus. It wasn't about all of these programs for all student groups. It was it not was a, a holistic look at was, the state of the university. Exactly. And, and she said, you know, that, that led to some of the confusion. And she said there's been a lot of confusion about programs such as black graduation or rainbow graduation. And, and she said, I've been saying to, to folks, look, this is not a separate graduation program. These are celebrations for student groups so they can get together and commemorate, you know, completing college and, and celebrate with, with their fellow students. And it's not a separate graduation ceremony. And she says that she's kind of been trying to make that point. And as she makes that point to people, she feels like she's been hearing kind of a collective sigh of relief that it's not, we're going to have separate graduation ceremonies for, for, for separate student groups. Right. Um, I think her tone on all of this was, was fairly positive. I, I, and I get that I think she's trying to build fences with the legislature. I think she's trying to you know, develop a, a working relationship with legislators. I should note that when I met with her Thursday morning, she had just come out of a meeting with House Republican leadership. Um, so she had had another conversation with, with Republicans about this issue. And, and, and I think her, her tone and her tack on this is we're at a very you know, critical juncture you know, not, not, you know, in our society where we should be having these kind of conversations. And maybe this whole flashpoint, this whole controversy has you know, led to some conversations that otherwise would have been kind of lingering or festering. Um, so I, I heard her take on it was fairly, fairly positive, I guess you could say. I, I, you know, I don't feel like she's looking to, you know, battle with legislators on this. Uh, she's not uh, trying to jab legislators in the eye, which, you know, obviously, you know, would be, you know, you know, you wouldn't expect a new president to be doing that, you know, less than two months on the job. But she also made it clear that she feels like it's the university's role to create an environment that works for, for all students, regardless of their background. I mean, as she put it, 
every student who succeeds helps every other student at the university. It creates a culture where, you know, where students can succeed. So I don't think she's backing away from the importance of these diversity programs, but I think she's also trying to find a way to you know, alleviate some of the confusion, to put these programs into some kind of a context, and to, uh, to build a working relationship. So that's what I focused on in my story on Thursday. We'll get into a lot more detail in the story next week. Um, you know, we'll also look at what she has to say at her State of the University, her State of the University address, her first one. That comes up on Wednesday. We'll have coverage of that, and I'll incorporate some of the the comments and the color from that event in my profile. So, anyway, we did want to break out the diversity issue in, into a standalone story, and you can read that at idahoednews.org. All right, fascinating stuff. I. I enjoyed uh, kind of the first bite at the apple uh, when you published the first article on Thursday. Really looking forward to your in-depth feature next week. And like we said, the context is Idaho is in basically an unprecedented position of turnover at the higher ed level. New presidents at University of Idaho and Boise State University uh, getting on the job just last month, just this summer. Um, you already introduced us to University of Idaho President Scott Green. We'll learn more about Dr. Trump from Boise State University. And then certainly just within the last year, new presidents at uh, Idaho State University and Lewis Clark State College. So I think that's turnover at four higher ed yeah, institutions. The big four. Really interesting time period um, for higher education in the state of Idaho. We'll continue and, to follow that. And to tease out a little bit of what you can expect to see more of in, in the profile next week, one thing that struck me talking to President Trump after talking to President Green is how their how their roots, how their upbringing affects where they are right now. I mean, you know, Scott Green is a native of Moscow. His grandfather was the athletic director at the University of Idaho. He he is a graduate of, of the U of I. He knows the fight song. He knows he only knows the fight song. He is he's about as diehard vandal as you're gonna find. And and for him, this is a homecoming. Um, you know, he's leaving a, a lucrative position in international law to run his alma mater. And there's definitely a, a sense of going back to your roots when you, when you talk to, to Scott Green. And with, with Marlene Trump, you get a similar sort of a message. You know, she's a native of Green River, Wyoming. She's a first-generation college student. She talks a lot about her experience growing up in a small town being the first in her family to go to college. And, and she sees a lot of commonality between a Green River, Wyoming, and a Boise, Idaho. Now, Boise is a lot larger city, but she sees a lot of you know, common ground with students who are going through the process of being first-gen students. Uh, you know, she talks a lot about that. I mean, this is you know, a defining point in, in her life. Uh, it set her on her path to, to where she is now. And I think she's she's definitely got an eye towards what to do for you know, students who are in a place where she was 30-some years ago when she was deciding what to do after high school. So a very interesting uh, chance to get a glimpse into to both of these uh, new presidents and their personalities and, and their life stories. So we'll, we'll try to capture that and deliver some of that in, in the story next week. I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. Uh, the homepage, idahoednews.org, is the place to look for that uh, next week. So that'll be interesting. Now, I want to get back. We, we promised we would get back to the big data dump that we got from the State Department of Education. Let's specifically narrow the focus a little bit 
and look at those IRI scores because we were talking yes. about the K three yes. Idaho Reading Indicator Test. Hot off the presses, just less than twenty four hours ago, we obtained uh, the latest spring IRI scores. You're still digging into it, but what are you finding, and, and what's standing out to you thus far? Well, the numbers are pretty close to what we saw in July when the preliminary yep. figures came out. We're at a close to 70% of K-3 through students were reading at grade level on the spring IRI. That is an improvement from where they were in, in the fall, where you had about 52% of students reading at grade level. So you saw considerable improvement from fall to spring, which you would expect. Because I mean, they spent a, a year in they school. They spent a year in school. The, the teachers have had the benefit of looking at those fall reading scores and have had the chance to uh, give students extra help, you know, kind of tailor that extra help for where they need it. So you'd expect the numbers to improve, and they did. Um, that still leaves you with about, by my count, about 26,000 yeah. K-3 through students who left school this spring not reading at grade level. That's, when school comes back this month, they're going to be playing catch-up. They'll um, be playing catch-up. There's always a little bit of summer melt, even with kids who are reading at grade yeah. level. So we'll see what those fall numbers look like and see what kind of... Um, what kind of drop-off there may have been from spring to fall when students go back. Um, you know, some things that kind of jumped out at me, and I look, you know, when I look at these scores, I always kind of look, try to look at some of the, the outliers and some of the large districts because those numbers can be very illustrative. And we do finally have district and school-level data. If you recall, back in July, uh, the state only released some state-level data on the IRI. So we Correct. we could not tell you, parent in the West Data School District or parent in the Boise District, how are your schools stacking up? Well, now we can talk about that a little bit more. So let's talk about some of the big districts. Okay. Some things that really jumped out at me. Um, among the large districts, West Ada, about 80% of K-3 through students were reading at grade level compared to a little bit less than 70% statewide. So that's a pretty considerable Above uh, the improvement. Uh, for West Ada, well above the state average. A number of the large districts, though, below that state average, uh, both Nampa and Boise, are a shade below uh, 60, uh, 66% uh, students reading at grade level. And again, remember, the statewide number is 69%. So, so both of those districts are a little bit below the state average. It really does go all over the map. I mentioned West Ada. Uh, Caldwell, uh, you know, a, a district with a lot of demographic challenges in terms of early reading scores. About 51% of students were reading at grade level in the spring. So, so a, lot of, a lot of gaps there. Looked at some of the high-performing schools and some of the low-performing schools, and you know, it's something we've kind of talked about before. Uh, charter schools in Idaho sometimes represent the highest-performing schools in the state and some of the lowest performing schools in the state. And that's what we saw yeah. with these spring IRI scores. The top five scores in the state, all charter schools. We can give, you'll have the rundown at idahoednews.org. Four of the five lowest performing schools were charters. Uh, one is a virtual charter school. One is a, uh, a charter school on the Fort Hall Indian Reservation. Um, the only... The lowest performing school district is the Wilder School District, a district that's dealing with a lot of issues in terms of poverty, a high percentage of English language learners, uh, so a lot of demographic challenges in a district like Wilder, uh, which you know can kind of account for what we saw. Highest performing school district of them all, of, of all 115 school districts, 
the NISPERS district in, in North Central Idaho, 87% of students at grade level. So we have all of these numbers. For the IRI, we also break down the, um, the ISAT scores uh, you know, for you know, third grade through high school. So a lot of data came out today. Uh, and we're sifting our way through it. And we'll have uh, full coverage, first day coverage anyway. And, and these are numbers that we'll continue to go back to, and especially on the on the literacy issue, which is one that I'm going to be focused on in the next few months. These literacy numbers are there's a lot there to get to, and we'll we'll try to sort through and, and do kind of a deeper level dive into the data in the weeks and months to come. And I think it merits that because literacy, like we talked about at the beginning of this episode quickly becoming the state's top priority, uh, top priority for the governor, a top priority for the task force. All eyes are on literacy, so we'll continue to watch that, and I know uh, you'll if, continue to dig if, in. If, if this task force is serious about using these IRI numbers as an accountability measure for for schools and districts, these, these numbers are hugely important, and the trends that we'll see over time when we start to see second, third year, and beyond with this new version of the IRI. Those trends are going to be hugely important. The student growth statistics are going to be hugely important. Looking at the growth versus, you know, in relation yeah. to demographics, also going to be really critical. So there's a lot there uh, to digest, and we're kind of working our way through it one, one piece at a time. For sure. I want to go back to something we also mentioned at the beginning of the show, Master Educator Premiums. I know right now, Kevin, as we sit here mid-August, uh, back to school is upon us. Hundreds of teachers are waiting to find out whether they're going to receive this Master Educator Premium. You had a little bit of an update. Uh, let's remind everybody what a Master Educator Premium is, what's at stake, and then when might folks find out. Right, so you had 1,400 teachers apply for this. It's potentially a bonus of $4,000 a year for three years, and it's designed to reward high-performing veteran teachers, yeah. teachers with more than with eight years or more experience in the classroom. Well, the State Board of Education is hoping to have results and awards to teachers by September 1st, but as I blogged this week, a couple of glitches along the way, they've had trouble getting portfolios and the online links to the portfolios to work and to get the applications in the hands of the teachers who are reviewing the, Scoring these, them, yeah. these applications. So the State Board has actually hired a couple of temporary employees to try to help get this process moving along. And some teachers, at least a handful of teachers, who signed up to review applications have had to bow out because you know the school year is starting and they're having to get ready to uh, you know, get back to their day job, if you will. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a glitch. It'll it, it sounds like something may come down to the wire, and you know we'll keep a close eye on what happens on September first or before September first or whenever these uh, you know, these premiums are awarded. Because we know, I mean, this is one of these kind of stories that when we write about it, we, we hear from educators who are you know, acutely interested in this yeah. because they have a personal stake in the outcome. And, you know, and as I mentioned earlier when we talked about the premiums, uh, there are some educators who are concerned with the way this thing is rolled out. They're, they're, you know, you know, they, they don't like the application process. They find that it's been cumbersome. Uh, the review process has has hit some glitches as we as we wrote about. This is a program that 
I, I don't think by anybody's measure has gotten off to a smooth start. That's been a, there's been a lot of bumps in the road here. I appreciate you watching it. There's a lot of eyes on this Master Educator Premium program. It may be in for changes. We're acutely aware of that, and we want to do our best to keep people in the loop uh, with what they can expect, how our taxpayer dollars are being spent, how many people are going to be getting these premiums, these bonuses. So I appreciate you keeping an eye on it. We will have more updates the closer we get to September 1st to let you know what to expect. And um, all right, transition to the big finish. Let's look ahead to next week because it's looking busy and not just because of back to school. Some high profile meetings next week. Kevin, what's on your radar? What are you going to be following? Well, a couple things that we'll be watching here collectively and a couple things that I'll be covering personally. Monday night is the beginning of the State Board of Education's hearings on uh, on academic rules. Yeah. And that has become the quote-unquote common core repeal hearings. Um, a lot of discussion we would expect to hear about the common core standards, but also about science standards because it's all incorporated in this one rule that the State Board is going to take public comments on. First public hearing is Monday night in Nampa. Uh, the roadshow goes to Twin Falls and Coeur d'Alene this uh, next week, and then to Idaho Falls the, the following, following week. Yep. We have the full uh, calendar at idahoednews.org. You've got to scroll down a little bit, but I did a story last week sort of setting the stage for those hearings. We'll be in Nampa Monday night. We'll get a sense of what's going on there. Tuesday night, uh, House Republican leadership and, and several Treasure Valley legislators will have a town hall in Meridian. I'm planning to cover that. This is going to get lively, I think. If it's anything like the Twin Falls uh, town hall that uh, Republican leadership had, uh, there was a lot of news that came out of that uh, that meeting uh, about uh, the diversity issue, yep. uh, you know, you know the, the university, the campus diversity issue. Also, some news came out on... Uh, you know, on a variety of topics. So when you have a town hall meeting and you have legislators, you never really know what you're going to hear. But with a lot of education issues on the radar, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, what the lawmakers uh, have to say. And then, as we mentioned Wednesday morning, um, Boise State President Marlene Trump uh, delivers her first State of the University address. We'll be there for that. We'll have uh, live coverage. And as I mentioned, I'll have a full profile of Marlene Trump next week for uh Probably we'll publish that on Thursday, so look for all of that. All right, sounds good. Going to be another busy week. I'm going to sit down with Bill Gilbert, the co-chair of the task force, and in the next week or two we'll have an in-depth feature profile letting you know a little bit about him and a little bit about how someone who doesn't really have a background in education has come to lead this task force, which is developing these big recommendations that we talked about. Looking the guy forward you may to that. not have heard of who's playing a very prominent role in this debate. Yeah. That may be about a week or more away at this point, but it's coming in the next two weeks. We expect to sit down early next week. I'm also going to dig into some of the numbers and data that the state released. I want to find out a little bit more about how parent survey results uh, are looking. For the first time, the state asked parents what they think about their child's education. We've got the numbers. We've got some responses. We'll dig into it, let you know about it next week. As always, thanks so much for joining us on the Extra Credit Podcast. We have a lot of fun breaking down this complicated, sometimes controversial intersection of education politics and education policy. If you're on Twitter and you don't already, you can give us a follow at Idaho Ed News. That's where we post our big stories and live tweet some of the biggest meetings. Uh, in terms of day-to-day news coverage, the homepage is the place to be, IdahoEdNews.org. But as always, thanks so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.